Before we begin today, I just wanted to acknowledge that Full Spirals is made possible through the generous support of our patrons. And I'm so grateful to all of you for subscribing and continuing to support the vital work of making creativity a force of healing and growing in our world and for helping to give healing a voice. Welcome to a very special Project I'm Speaking episode of Full Spirals. Project I'm Speaking episodes are a series of interviews conducted with the intention of featuring brave and talented women who agreed to speak up about their creative process, about how they found their unique voices, and how they intend to use those gorgeous voices in the world now. Because we need this. All of us need this right now more than ever. So enjoy this time and this unique voice while you take in this episode of Project I'm Speaking. I'm Stacy Parrish. series with singer, songwriter, author, speaker, and vocal coach Barbara McAfee. Up till this point, Project I'm Speaking episodes have focused mostly on women's voices in the figurative sense, the power of digging deep, stepping forward, the discovery of an inner voice, and of using that inner voice for a deeper purpose. But today, we begin an exciting journey into the literal and figurative voice. She opens her book, Full Voice, The Art and Practice of Vocal Presence, with a quote declaring, to free the voice is to free the person. With her work, she aims to help us discover the many colors that live inside our voices and how we can step into our full power. It's such juicy work that we're doing a three-part series to get to know Barbara, her techniques, and how you can begin to harness your own full voice. Make sure you listen through till the end of this episode to hear two of Barbara's original songs, including the one we're listening to right now called Grown-Ass Woman. So fun. And with that, let's get to it. So welcome, Barbara McAfee. My delight to be here. Thank you, Stacey. I felt an immediate kindred spirit to you when I watched your TED Talk at Gustavus Adolphus, which coincidentally happened to be the um, town that I student taught in. And that's kind of where our kismity stuff started. Yes. But can we just go like all the way back to where your passion for voice came from? Well, let's talk about what you do and then where that came from. Can we do it that way? Yeah, I think that makes sense. One of the ways I describe what I do is I am a midwife for voices. Mm. So people are walking around full of potential, some of which inhabits their voice. And basically everybody I know is carrying some sort of trauma suppression pattern, either from, either from their own life or, and, or from their ancestral line. We all come from a line of silenced 
women for sure, and often men. Hmm. So my job is to provide the kind of support to get those voices from inside out into the world. And I do that through a bunch of different ways. I teach online in groups. I teach online individually. Uh, back in the old times before the pandemic, I did a <laughs> fair amount of in-person work. Uh, I lead a retreat in Mexico. So there's a number of ways that I do that. But the, the crux of it is to, to get the voices out. Oh, and I also lead a lot of community singing to provide mm. opportunities for people to sing who don't think they can and where there's very low stakes. You just can try things and dare to suck a little bit and nobody's going to give you any shade or shame. Yeah. So that's, that's the best. I, dare to yeah. suck is the best. Dare to suck. I should write a song about that. That's how pretty much a lot of things happen. I think sometimes I, I have described my strategic plan as uh, over my whole lifetime is what the hell, <laughs> you know, you want to write a book? Uh, what the hell do you want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And one thing leads to another. Unfortunately, enough of those yeses made some sense. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So were you arty as a kid? I was very arty as a kid. I loved um, visual scribbly art. I liked um, my neighbor girls and I would put on plays for our family. I was just remembering one that we did around Christmas time many, many years ago. This is around like fifth grade, maybe. Uh -huh. um, in sixth grade, I decided to to... Uh, my friends and I wanted to put on a play on the last day of school. And I went to the principal and said, we want to do a play. And he said, well, let me find you a teacher. And I said, no, that would ruin it. And he said, okay. And so wow. I basically was like the, the star and the director. It was a, and my friends and I did it. And we on the last day of school, Washington Elementary School gym was full of squirmy children. And we did it. And wow. uh, so I, I did a lot of that kind of thing was in band and choir, took piano from five on. Um, but the singing alone in front of people never, never, never happened. I was a good choir person, but that was, that was terrifying to me. So it was kind of a missing piece. Um, my grandfather sang on the radio as a soloist. My mother was a soloist. My big brother was a soloist and was in a band. So there was plenty. It wasn't like I was all by myself in this arty proclivity, but there was a lot sitting on top of my voice and I just didn't want to be seen or heard in that way. Mm. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? Oh, lots of places. I think there was some um, fundamental wounds in my family. Uh -huh. um, I was the keeper of secrets. And when you're the keeper of secrets, you, um, it's got to go somewhere. And so for me, it just, it, it, resulted in chronic tonsillitis most of my life Wow! because the truth would rise up and it couldn't come out of my face. And mm. so, so there was a, a lot of that. And I, you know, I lived with kind of an angry, angry man who didn't like women. Mm. Um, and I, I told this, I told, I told the secrets that's part of my healing um, and have really wonderful relationships with, with my brothers and healed the relationship with both my parents before they died. So, mm. whew. You know, that's, uh, that's good work in this life. Yeah. And they were willing, they were willing to go as far as they could go, all, all of them.
Mm-hmm. That's one of those things we have in common. I'm just remembering the first time we met when I was describing myself to you, I said I was born a truth teller and you said, I'm sorry. And <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, first words, yeah. I'm sorry. Second words, congratulations. Because it is, I don't want to say it's a burden, but it's it's something you have to walk through. But then it's also it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's very liberating. Once once you once you start riding it. It's yeah. it's really liberating. But the one piece that I feel like is missing is my song. And that mm-hmm. is one of the things that I so admire about your work and that I really want to talk about where your song came from and how you got in touch with that. Because I know that's not the work that you always did. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yes. I, I started singing in public. I started singing jazz in my 20s and was a hot mess. So afraid. And always had this musical sidelight to my day job. I just wanted a day job. And I I got one of those. One that I did for 12 years was I was an organizational development consultant. I did team building, strategic planning, communication training, um, all kinds of retreats and meeting management. I did a bunch of that work in communities. And so I had that job I have no training in that. I have no credentials at all, but I have lots of qualifications. I was really good at it. I know how to to pay attention. And I also had some really good mentors. So I did that for 12 years, but um, started writing songs a little bit in my mid twenties. And then when my dad died, um, I was with him. He was, I was 31. He was 67. And I made up a story that he took a big bunch of fear with him when he died. Mm. And also I just didn't have that much fear of death anymore. I was like, that's it. That was actually not a big deal. It was a big deal, but it wasn't hard. Mm. Um, and I just started writing like crazy. And so I really started finding my voice as a songwriter in at 31. And now I've made eight CDs. I'm going to record some more songs this winter. And I really love the mystery of calling in a song. It's it's a living pattern, just like you and me. Mm. And it has its intelligence. That's what I think. I think they're alive. And uh, I've put a lot of other people's poetry to music. I wrote poems a lot growing up. So I mm-hmm. already had the facility. And I'm a good writer. I always had the facility for language. Played the piano a long time. Had all these songs in my bones. So it wasn't too much of a stretch for me to take all that and start me making songs, but I still can't explain to you how they happen. Hmm. Are you familiar with the work of Elizabeth Gilbert? Oh, very much so. Yeah. 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 That that sort of feels like what you're talking about. Um, The big magic, you know, how ideas, they just want to be born. They're living, breathing things and you can either jump on it, ride Mm -hmm. it and develop it, or you can let it go and someone else is going to catch it. I love and how story about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I believe that I've seen, you know, I've had that happen in my own life, having an idea and then letting it go and seeing it develop somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I remember early in my writing time, songs would wake me up in the middle of the night and I had a day job, you know, I, 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 I you, you know, it's like attached to my face. It's like, hello. It's like, no, actually. Um, so I remember having a, a writing in my journal at the time and just having a conversation. Now, listen, I'm happy to write you. 
I um, I vow that I will I will honor your visitation. But you have to understand that whoever you are, you don't live in a body and you don't live in time. And I do. So <laughs> yes. you need to be. And it was one of those really great. It was one of the great relationship negotiations of my life was with my <laughs> muse to like set a boundary yes. and to negotiate and to say, no, you don't get to wake me up. And and it worked. And, yeah. um, and thank goodness for my phone now, because I, I, yes. I, I hike so much and I get so many of my songs now hiking and, uh, or driving. And so I can just, boop, you know, voice me- memo. I can't tell you how many songs died because I had no mechanism for catching them when I was out in the world doing something else, which is when they like to come and visit me. So. Your confrontation with your muse, there's a story about Tom Waits doing the same thing. He was driving somewhere and the same thing where he's just like, listen, (laughs) I'm trying to do something here. I'm happy to apply. I'm driving. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think I heard him tell that story on the radio one time. And I know Elizabeth Gilbert writes about it as well. Yeah. I laughed out loud. I thought, well, great minds, huh? It's yeah. The, the universality of the, of the creative process and of, of that kind of energy is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she writes beautifully about imposter syndrome as yes. well. Absolutely. And I mean, for me, teaching and coaching has taught me that it's like, Oh, I used to think I was so special and I am, but not for the reasons, not for the things that plague me. Mm-hmm. The things that plague me are universal. And um, I actually wrote a song about um, all that stuff called brain rats. And it's just about all the dumb stuff that runs around in our, in our minds. And and it's universal. It's such a great song. And it's a fun video, too. I wrote down the quote from that song. It's, and the piece of crap around which this whole world revolves. <laughs> you're talking, you're referring to yourself. I modified that. I, I, I read it in an Anne Lamott book, and she was quoting someone else. Mm. It was a little more spicy language. Um, I'm the piece of crap, you know, around which this whole world revolves. It just cracks me up. So you developed this incredible framework yes. for working with the voice. Can you tell me a little bit about how you arrived there? Yes. I love this framework. <laughs> and I know we're going to delve more into it in our, in our series here, but it's called the five elements framework. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like how I cook. You know, I took some of this and some of that, like what was sitting around in the refrigerator. I noticed my own vocal hindrances a lot because, you know, that's partly what I was afraid of in terms of singing, that my voice was not reliable. And I went to a workshop by these teachers uh, from the south of France. And Mm -hmm. at the time, I thought my voice ended here, which isn't that high. And in that workshop, I went way, 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 way high. Wow. And that changed everything because what these teachers did from the Roy Hart Center, H-A-R-T, and what their approach started with was sound, not singing, not speaking, sound. And no one had ever asked me for all the sound I had. Most everything in the world is trying to have you put a cork in it, take it down a notch, a blend with the alto section, be seen mm. but not heard, behave, be nice, you know, fill in the blank. It's all constriction and narrowing and perfecting. Even like vocal training is a lot about like getting that perfect tone. And this was wild and prim- primal. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it. I never felt so embodied and so alive. And I, 
just loved that work. And I continued to study with teachers from that group. Now I've been teaching with one of them for over 20 years. So that was a, an, a real watershed event was just, oh, sound. Ooh, what is possible? And sound and pretending to be somebody that I'm not using archetypes and characters, which are, you know, to circle back to things floating around in the air. I think they're floating around looking for a job to do. Mm. So that is like the taproot of the work of the, of the framework. And then I, I added things from yoga, uh, the, the chakra systems from yoga, Jungian psychology around the collective unconscious, the leadership stuff that I was learning in my day job. And I mixed it all together and mostly just started paying attention to how people's voices reflect their gifts and their challenges. So the idea is that we have, we have way more than five, but five is a good start. These five elements of earth, fire, water, metal, air, and that we can use them to more fully express who we are, be more intentional about how we say what we say in the world. I love this notion of paying attention to sound mm -hmm. and how liberating it must be to pay attention in that way, as it opposed is. to this, this notion of being restricted. It is. And we do this naturally, like, uh, uh. when mm. I wake up in the morning, that's the sound I make. Or if I hit, I stub my toe, ow, or somebody cuts me off in traffic. Or when we talk to our pets or babies, how about you, Oh, you know, so I think there's more, we make more sound than we think we do uh, as humans. And we, all those things, if I didn't explain what they were, you would know what was going on because it's a really fundamental way of communicating. When you brought up uh, babies and pets, it made me think of just how completely and utterly wise they already are, you they know? Are. And I'm also thinking of the relationship between a child and a mother and how the mother learns to tune into those sounds so that she knows what that baby is saying. Exactly. So yeah, we have, this, is... we have this capacity as human beings. So do you feel like, is it a cultural thing that we stop expressing ourselves in that way? So I think there is a maturation that we just go through as people. Mm -hmm. We acquire language. And so we're supposed to use, use your words. And there are places in indigenous culture in all of our long history where people had an opportunity to let loose a little bit. And now pretty much one of the only places people can do that is in sports, sometimes in big rock concerts, sometimes in like the African-American gospel church. Um, there are places where people can just join, but so infrequent now compared to what we used to have. We used to sing all day. Mm -hmm. We used to have rituals for grieving. You know, if you grieve, I've done grief ritual where people just like for three hours, we just have the drums going, we're singing, we're moving. And there's a place in the center where people can just go and wail and cry. And mm. it's like, oh, <laughs> what a what a thought that we can't grieve alone. We can't really celebrate alone. I mean, mm. and pandemic taught us a lot about that, how much we need to be together. So I think some of it is, a lot of it is cultural and, and when we're, lonely, um, or more easily manipulated. We'll mm. buy, we'll buy stuff. We'll give up our power. So the suppression of men and women's voices in our culture happens in different ways. How do you see that playing out in your work? What a great question. Um, for women, 
um, our voices are still suppressed uh, compared to men when we look at where the power is in government and business and even just how recently women got the vote. My grandmother mm. was in college when women got the vote in this country and I knew her. I, I, uh, I, she died when I was in high school. So that was just moments ago, really. That's mind blowing. Your Isn't grandmother it? was in college when women got the vote. Yes. Yes. And she fell in love the with the vote, the vote. Yeah. And she fell in love with politics. She was, she was very political all her life. And I think it probably hit at just this moment in her development, just to be at the end of that huge struggle that went on and on and on and on. Bless our ancestors' hearts for all those women who went to jail and got beaten and spat on and pushed down. Bed through their noses. Yes. Yes. So, so that is still in our bones, in the field uh, that we live in. And also that women all over the world right now, I'm thinking Iran, I'm thinking all over the place, don't have a voice in their own basic lives, whether they marry, who they marry, how many kids they have, if they can own property, drive, what they wear, uh, can they work, uh, women in Afghanistan. I mean, just, and then women living in poverty in this country, you know, how many of the people experiencing homelessness are single moms, mm. often who have run away from a, an abusive partner. So the voice there is affected. They don't have a say about what happens to them. So that is a lot what lives in us and the witch burnings. And, you know, there's just a lot of hatred of the feminine still mm -hmm. in the culture. Well, bodily autonomy. Yes, exactly. And if you're a woman and you're strong, you're a bitch. And if you're weak, you're a wimp. You get to be a bitch, you know, the virgin whore, all that stuff is still alive mm -hmm. and still living in our, in our voices, in our bodies. Uh, in addition to our own personal trauma from incest, rape, blah, blah, blah. So all that is, is in us, as is all the persistence of our ancestors who came through. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So it's not just a sad story. It is a story of incredible persistence and triumph. So I'm very nice. grateful to them for finding a way to survive what they have gone through. Least I can do is express <sighs> myself in honor I get to do it just because of me, but I really want to honor them as well. So for men, to be a good man in the dominant culture is to be dead. You mm. don't move. You don't feel. You don't maybe can't even laugh unless you've had four beers, can't dance, can't sing. And so it's a deadening. And this is very generally speaking mm -hmm. in the dominant culture. We all know a million exceptions to all of these in many, all genders, really. But to be a good man in this culture is to be, to be dead and strong and uh, violent. And, and all of these patterns are enforced through violence for women and men. So for a man to inhabit um, his feminine, his feeling, his uh, warmth, his tears, um, that's radical. I do want to say I see it changing somewhat mm -hmm. in the generations coming behind um, us and I'm also seeing, I'm seeing it in my, my nephew, uh, nephews and nieces. I'm seeing it in their friends and my friends, for, friends, children. 
um, you know, non-binary. I have a friend's sons who, you know, who are wearing pearls and painting their nails and, and they're, they just don't care. They're just mm-hmm. not invested in the, in that dominant culture. Now I know there's a lot of people who still are, but it's been really, really lovely to see them set free to, uh, express more mm-hmm. fully. And, um, and I see it with people of all genders coming up. There's, there's, a bit more freedom and it it's scaring the heck out of people and they're wanting to squash it. Yeah. It feels a little bit like what you're talking about is authenticity. It's about to thine own self be true. Like we're born with that. We're born with to thine own self be true and through conditioning and familial trauma and whatever our role is in the family that, you know, we're slowly but surely all of those threads of who we are are stripped away until all that's left is the fabric of who we're supposed to be. And when you were talking about the voices of women, I was brought back to that's literally why I left radio as a profession, because there it was so unfriendly to women. There were there were only so many roles that I was allowed to play. I could either be an airhead or I could be a bitch or I could be sexy, but I couldn't stand in my power. This is commercial radio. Public radio is a whole nother animal. And that's sort of where I left my voice behind for, when was that? 2009 until last year. Wow. Yeah. And it was, that was really hard Mm -hmm. because I knew that I had something to say and I knew that I was good at it, but there's something about getting older. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I wrote a song called Grown Ass Woman, which is a lot about <laughs> being, being older. And the chorus is, you know, beautifully shameless to be a grown ass woman. And it just, there is something about, I just care less what people think of me. Can you sing a little bit of it? Would you oh, sing yeah. a little bit of oh, it? Oh yeah. Let me, let me change my setting. So it'll sound right. Oh yeah. No longer young. Acquainted with the promptings of my soul, I am freed from the need for approval. Beautifully shameless to be a grown ass woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, free from the need for approval. I still get the giggles almost every time I sing that one. Oh my goodness, spent so much energy on that one. Holy cow, what a booby prize. That's so true. Trying to get the respect and approval of people who I do not respect or care much about. And, and the ones that you chase the hardest are the ones that will never, ever, ever give it to you anyway. No, brick wall, run at no. it. Brick wall, run at it. Brick wall, run at it. Wait yeah. Up. Realize your head is bleeding. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit more about your songs? Yes. I love my babies. Yeah. What do you want to know? Uh, for starters, I would love to hear more about your song, Jewels. I think I'd like to play a little bit of it and then hear a little bit more about how it came to be. Every time I go into the darkness, I return with fistfuls of jewels. 
depths all around me. I reach stars with brilliant above. Every time I go into depths all around me, I reach stars with jewels and it's perfect because we're recording this right around the deepest darkest time of year right so Mm -hmm. i wrote it right around the deepest darkest time of year it's a it's a little community song so it has three different parts that layer up and a lot of the songs i write are to be sung in groups and this one the first part the the lyrics came when i was actually working with somebody who had been through a really hard horrible car accident and was in a long recovery and was just like, I just don't think I can do this. And I heard myself say, you've had this experience, I'm sure. Every time I go into the darkness, I return with fistfuls of jewels. Hmm. I thought, dang, that's good. (laughs) Who said that? And it just got filed away, kind of tucked back in my semi-conscious And then I was sitting in a hot tub up um, on the south shore of Lake Superior in a snow, gently falling snow, Mm. and the tune showed up in a hot, you know, sitting in a hot tub. It sounds wonderful, and it was. And all of a sudden, (laughs) I just came up with this tune. Every time I go into the darkness, I return with fistfuls of jewels. And then uh, I made another part, just kind of imagining that midnight velvet wraps all around me, stars glitter brilliant above. And then I I took those two parts to a song circle that I was leading in Minneapolis and got those going. And then I wrote the third part, the kind of angelic over part that's Uh dreaming darkness, dreaming light. And it's, uh, it feels like it creates like the good part of this time of year. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of cozy, mysterious, still, cold, dark. Yeah. Yeah, we had talked about Huga. Huga, exactly. It's the Huga song, one of mm-hmm. the Huga songs. Yes. Yeah. It's what I love about winter is the sleep and the mm-hmm. quiet and just knowing, you know, the little critters are sleeping, the trees are sleeping, they're holding on to their sap. Yeah. It's just so full of promise. So Jules is one of my favorite songs of yours. And the other one is Bone Crack and Cold, being oh, yeah. a, a Wisconsin a Wisconsin gal and you're a Minnesota gal. Who's now living in Wisconsin. So here I am. <laughs> I can see Minnesota from here, but I'm in Wisconsin. But yeah, Bone Crack and Cold. And what's funny is that I I don't remember where that phrase came from, but there is actually in a Native American, I can't remember which tribe, but one of the the moons of winter is called bone cracking moon. So is it all right with you if we play bone crack and cold? Yeah. Yeah. I just recorded it actually at the, at my new recording studio that I go to right down the block. All right. We'll definitely do that at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to do a little teaser because you are not only going to be here one time. I know. You- <laughs> so glad. We're just getting started. It's so exciting. You're going to be here for two more episodes. And uh, we'll dig in a little bit more into your five element framework. And that's all I'm going to say about that Mm -hmm. because it's exciting. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. And then you'll be here one more time after that. But we'll just um, we'll just leave the mystery dangling. 
That sounds great. In a very winter way. I love it. Thanks for inviting me. This has just been delightful. I'm really glad it's not over. Me too. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Full Spirals was produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. The music by Helen Avakian. Additional music provided by Beth Kelly. Production assistance by Jeff Ryan. If you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, and share Full Spirals. Bring your friends and your fam along for the ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform, because we really are all in this together. Till next time, take care.
cracking cold. Born cracking cold. Born cracking cold. While the temperature goes down. Born cracking cold. Born cracking cold. Born cracking cold. While the temperature goes down. Born cracking cold, north wind blowing. Born cracking cold, born cracking cold. North wind blowing. While the temperature goes down. Born cracking cold, north wind blowing. Born cracking cold, shiver, 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 shiver. Born cracking cold, north wind blowing. While the temperature goes down. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. While the temperature goes down. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. While the temperature goes down. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. While the temperature goes down. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. Bone cracking cold. While the temperature goes down.